Let's work our way over to Luke chapter number 2 today. You want to be right around verse number uh, 33. Now if the bulletin wasn't confusing enough for you, wait till you hear what I'm about to do. Last week, I part of my series is uh, a five-part series, and we didn't have service last week. And that was part two of a two-part series inside of the five-part series. So far, are you okay with that? Um, which was last week we were going to discuss the announcement to Simeon in Luke chapter 2. And then this week we were going to follow that with the second part of Simeon's story, which pertained to our communion service even. And so today you're getting part two of a sermon you'll get part one next week. All right? That's the best I could do. Uh, see, some of us don't mind having dessert before the main course, do we? If you go up to Gripey Joe's, perhaps, uh, once in a while I like to go up there in Nash to get wonderful, wonderful food. You'll get your salad first. And then, more times than not, dessert will come around uh, before your main course. And uh, I always eat it first. If it's there, I eat it. And that coconut cream pie is very good. Uh, and then comes the catfish on Thursday, and that's really good, too. So maybe that's my dessert, is a catfish. Uh, however you want to look at it. But some people, they would be very bothered with starting a football game in the second half. And then you go back and play the first half. That wouldn't make much sense. But because of all the changes, we're actually doing part two today and part one next week. Just so you know what we're doing. And uh, where we are is in Luke chapter 2, verse 33 through verse number 35. It says, And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that your thoughts or that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Kind of a complicated sounding thing. But we're going to spend our time looking at this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we need your help today. Your word is in front of us, and we would like you to explain it to us that we might uh, come to appreciate it and find application in it and bring that to light in our own lives. If there's things here you want to teach us specifically, Lord, thank you for your spirit who dwells within us and teaches us in all things. And we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, today. For we have set our, our minds and our hearts upon Jesus Christ, our Savior. And for what he has done for us, we thank you. Keep our attention focused there today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of our study so far, we have seen an announcement to Mary. Mary, she was told that Jesus Christ is King. We saw an announcement to Joseph. Jesus Christ is Savior. He saw an announcement to the shepherds. Jesus Christ is Lord. In the sermon you haven't heard yet from Simeon, he is our peace. 
That's just a clue of what's up next week. But today, we look at something else that's quite amazing. And we see in these verses that even Mary and Joseph were quite amazed with what they're about to hear. I want to check something with you as we get started here. For we have gone through several Christmas stories in Scripture. We know they're in Matthew and they're also in the book of Luke. And in our study, as we scan through it, most of those stories we know very well. And so we move through them quickly. Today, I'd like to uh, scan back through some of these passages of the Christmas story and look for something in particular. All right? This is what I want us to be looking for as we go through these passages. The references to tell us how Jesus will save us. All right? We're going to look for that. Now, let's go back over some of these. Uh, since we're in Luke, let's just back up to chapter 1 for a moment. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is the uh, announcement that Mary received. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Nazareth, or in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, of the virgin's name was Mary, Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now remember, we're looking for how will he save, okay? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Now, we stop right there with our, our story, because that's the announcement. The announcement in verse number 31, 32, verse 33 it's an announcement about a king, right? No reference to a savior at all. Just a king. That's what Mary heard. So that's not going to help us in our search. How will he save us? It doesn't say how he will do that. So we move to another passage. You're still in, in Luke here. Since we're, we're right here, we didn't explore this passage, but start down in verse 39, and we'll start reading through here. This is a time after, as uh, the angel had left Mary, Mary went to see her, uh, her relative Elizabeth. It says in verse 39, Now at this time Mary rose and went to, in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings reached my ear, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who has believed that she would be the fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, if we just go with Elizabeth's comments, she makes reference to Mary being the mother of my Lord. You see that part, don't you? But there's no reference to how, is there? 
No reference there yet. So let's go and let's hear Mary's words. Mary says these in verse 46. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Then Mary stayed for three more months. Now, again, she makes reference, you can see in verse number 47, she makes reference to a Savior, God my Savior, right? And then she goes on to the rest of this description here, speaking of praise to the Father for what he has done. Very interesting passage to work through. She praises him for what he has done. Now, I don't know if Mary understood the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Being an Old Testament setting as she lived in, uh, they would simply address God as their Lord and their Savior. It's written that way in the Old Testament several places, without distinction to the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and such. Uh, Matter of fact, Mary says nothing in this whole passage about the baby, really. She speaks of her praise to God, who in his mercy chose her. That's the whole passage. So, again, we don't have a lot of help here if we're trying to figure out how is Jesus going to save? Just another reference to the fact he is, he is uh, the Savior. So, we move on. Let's go back to Matthew for a second. Keep your finger here, or of course we'll be back. But Matthew chapter number 1. And this is the story of Joseph and his encounter with the angel. And it starts around verse number 18. I'm not going to read through the entire passage. You know it pretty well. What Joseph was wrestling with about Mary and what he should do. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But in verse number 20... The angel declares, Joseph, right in the middle, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How? It just says it again, doesn't it? He will be a savior, right? It doesn't say how. No reference to that. Now, we could, we could spend more time there, but we won't. We'll move on to the, the, uh, the, what we call the wise men in chapter number 2 of Matthew, since we're here. Verse 1 through 12 tells of their story, and here's what they did. They came into the uh, city of Jerusalem. They approached Herod the king. They asked in verse number 2, Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east. We have come to worship him. And then the the question was raised as to where he would be born. Verse number 5, they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Now, there's no other reference as to what we can learn of Christ in the passage. They understood him to be a ruler, right? He was born the king of the Jews, and that's what they were out looking for. So again, we don't have any reference to a savior, or how, how he would save. So we go over to the shepherd story, back to Luke again. Luke chapter number 2, and their story starts in verse number 8. And we know these words very, very well. But I'm going to go right to the message to these shepherds in verse 10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you what? A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? This will be a sign for you. And then they go on and talk about the sign. Any reference on how he would be a Savior? Not here either, right? Another concrete passage to say he is the Savior. But it doesn't say how. Now, here's my observations from what I just walked you through here. You can verify this. Mary and Joseph, I could picture them discussing the things they've been told. They both could testify that God has made it clear that Jesus is unique in the fact that he is king, and he will be king, but also they had gotten the news that he would be savior. All these references to a savior, right? Several times over they hear the word savior. He will save people from their sins. Now, you and I have an advantage that they didn't have. You and I have the advantage. We could look back over the whole of scripture, can't we? We could compare passages. We can see the life of Christ. We can see uh, uh, him growing up in, in passages. We could read of those things, of his teaching. We could read of his miracles. We could read where he contended with religious leaders. We could read where he ministered alongside his disciples. We could read where he was arrested in a garden, where he was put on trial before Pilate. We could read where he was beaten, where he was crucified, where he died on a cross, where he was buried. We can read of his resurrection on the third day. We can read of his time spent with his disciples after that, another 40 days or so. We could read of his ascension going up into heaven. We can read the whole story, can't we? And we could step back and say, I know how he is a savior, because we could see it spelled out for us in front of us. Our view is similar to those who might scan a photo album of somebody who has lived most of their life, if not all of it. We open up the pages and we could see their baby pictures. We could scan through and watch them growing up in their young years. We could see them when they become teenagers. We could see them when they graduate from high school. We could see them when they head off for college. We could see them when they get engaged and then they're married and the pages are full of wedding pictures. And then we could see after that where their family starts to grow and little ones come along. We could go through a whole life in a little book, can't we? And see all the pictures as the life develops in front of us. Mary and Joseph had a baby book at the best. And they're trying to understand something as they read in that. You said, Mary pondered, right? She treasured these things in her heart. The only view she had was that of a baby. She didn't have the whole photo album. The things that were told to her about this baby, how he would become king, 
how he would sit on a throne, how he would be known as Lord, how he would save his people from their sins. All of those are in the future. And she's standing here in the present. And here she walks into the temple with Jesus and Simeon approaches them. And the words he speaks in verse 33 through 35 had to have been jarring news. Jarring, confusing, perhaps shocking. Because they were the words of how. All of a sudden something new is brought to her attention that she hadn't seen before. And what do you see in these verses? Starts with the fact in verse 34, Simeon blessed them. Uh, it starts with a blessing. Isn't that a pretty way to start the passage? It's a blessing. He says this. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce, pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Somebody had said it this way, and I wrote it down so I could get the words right. The saintly prophecy of Simeon must not be unnoticed. If there is to be glory, there must also be suffering. He gives a hint of Gethsemane and of Calvary. Here is the first foreshadowing of the passion found in the New Testament. How is Jesus to be a Savior? How? Well, there are five simple things here that are recorded in this passage. All of these he, were, he was appointed to be. He was appointed that many would fall. He was appointed that many would rise. He was appointed that some would oppose. He was appointed that souls will be pierced. He was appointed that a final decision would be reached. These five things we're going to look at quickly here this morning. But starting in verse number 34, this child is appointed as Simeon begins these words. He's appointed. This is set in place. This is something destined by God. And when God appoints something, it's appointed. Alright? It's a sure thing. And this child has been appointed. That's why Simeon starts to speak. For the fall of many in Israel. What a way to start. For the fall of many? The word fall means to crash. Not a happy term for anybody, is it? Terrible, terrible kind of sound to the word crash. Back in, I believe, the year 2005, I was listening during the fall of that year to a football game. A college football game was on the radio. Uh, Notre Dame was playing USC. USC was ranked number one. Notre Dame, they were tight as can be. Both scores tied right up to the last minute of the game. It was exciting. Just sit there and listen to it, and you're thinking, oh, they're going to pull this off. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you're sitting there rooting for them, because it came down to seven seconds left on the clock. We thought, wow, this is great. All of a sudden, there was this crash. The sound that, to, in my house, it sounded like somebody took the dresser and threw it down the staircase. It was, a, it was a terrible, terrible sound. Never quite heard a sound like that before in my life. So I come running out into the living room to see... What just crashed down the staircase? And there was nobody in there. 
It was coming from outside the house. So I look out the front window, and what do I see? There's a car laying upside down. Come around the corner, forgot to turn. Went across the yard, went through the neighbor's living room. He was sitting there watching the game too, just missed his lazy boy recliner. Went through his living room, turned upside down, ran into the, the restaurant on the outside, and I thought, oh my, there's a car upside down, the wheels are still rolling, that sound was horrid. And I go running out there, dialing the phone in one hand, looking for the person in the car at the other. He came crawling out from underneath the car, drunk as could be, not one scratch on him. Got up and started to walk away. It was an interesting story. I missed the last seven seconds of that game. <laughs> Drove me crazy. It was so exciting even. I had to catch it on the news later that night to see exactly what happened. A historic finish. Missed it because of a big crash. Now, when I think of the word crash, I always think of that incident for some reason. Because it's a sound in my ear. You know what that's like. You, you have something you, you think about. Scripture talks about this fact that Jesus Christ was a stumbling stone for some. He was a stumbling stone. Those who reject him, he was a stone of stumbling in First Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 8. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense that they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. A stumbling stone. It doesn't move. You stumble over it. Another picture that crosses my mind of that is, in fact, my dad always worked on cars. Down in his garage, he had torn apart a motor sitting in the middle of the floor. I didn't see it. It was dark in there. We always went in the door and flipped up the, the giant garage door in order to see in the, the garage. And so I was walking my way over there, and my foot struck the engine block sitting on the floor. It didn't move. My toes did. They were black and blue for the longest time. But I recall that picture of just stumbling over something. It wasn't going to move. Christ is a stumbling stone for those who will not believe. They crash over him. You see the picture. It's given in scripture. We know in, in uh, Proverbs it tells us something about pride. What does it come before? We know the passage, don't we? Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's, that's what we typically picture. The fall of many. What is that? Well, some might easily say, well, that's obvious. Well, Christ, is, is, his message is clear. They don't want to believe it. And because of their own pride, they crash over him. Now, I have to tell you this. This crashing, this falling is not reserved only for those who reject him. I want to give you another perspective on it here. And I think this fall that he references here is something that must start with all who needs to recognize who Jesus is. See, our own sinful states. We have scripture that tells us what we were like in our dead, being dead in trespasses and sins. That's pretty clear. But we also, according to Scripture, love the darkness. It says in Scripture that we lived in the darkness. We had rejected the light because we were at home in the darkness. Every fiber of our lost soul 
fought against the truth of the gospel. Our pride in self is strong. It has a backbone. It has a sturdy limb that puts up a fierce battle. The pride of man. You know what it needs? It needs to fall. It needs to crash. It must fall. There's a story in the life of Christ where a crowd was shouting about and Jesus came into the scene and there was a man there. He had a little boy, apparently. And this boy had this uh, evil spirit within him. This evil spirit would uh, thrash him constantly, throwing him around the room and such, uh, screaming and putting him into convulsions and foaming at the mouth and, and mauling him, the scripture says. And the man says to Jesus, I begged your disciples to cast him out. They could not. And while Jesus was still approaching that child, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. Then Jesus told him to leave, and he did. They were amazed at that. Simple little picture for you, though. Testimony of one who comes to know Christ is who he is. Now, some of you came to know Christ at a very young age, didn't you? You remember that the sweetness, perhaps, of a quiet hour. You remember, perhaps, when you believed because your mom shared with you or your dad shared with you the gospel. There didn't seem to be any struggle in it, right? Remember those days, perhaps? You, you, you say, well, that, that wasn't a struggle. That wasn't a fall. That wasn't a crash. That wasn't anything like that. But, you know, there's so much we don't see in the spirit world. We have an enemy who has blinded eyes so they can't see the gospel, right? Scripture tells us that. We have one who prefers that we stay lost so we can never know the truth. We have a will of our own. That works rather strong. We live in the flesh. That works against the, the, the work of the Spirit. Sometimes I wonder if those who live longer in the flesh have more of a struggle than those who were very young when they came to know Christ. But never underestimate this simple fact. Whether you received him when you were young or whether you were older, it was the same act of Christ on a cross that saved you. True? It was the same sacrifice, right? It was that same thing that Jesus has done. And Scripture says we need to die with Christ. We need to be buried with Christ. Romans chapter 6 speaks of that. If that's not a struggle, I don't know what is. Our union with Christ means, maybe we didn't understand it or appreciate it, but look what he did for us. He was crushed, wasn't he? That's part of your salvation. We all must fall. We all must be crushed in this picture. That's the only way to get back, raised up. And that's the next thing he says. Not only is he appointed for the fall of many, and as a believer, you've been down that road then. He's also been appointed to the rise of many. Look at these simple words. In Romans chapter 6, let's go over there just for a minute. By the way, the the word rise here in Luke is the exact same word for resurrection. It's the exact same word in Scripture. And here in Romans chapter 6, the passage I just referred to, says these words to us. In verse number 3, 
Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was what? Crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This is the only way to know Christ as Savior. To be united with him. Through his death, through his crucifixion, and also through his resurrection. United with him. That's the fall of many. That's the rise of many. goes on to say in Ephesians chapter number 2, just two little beautiful verses. In verse 5 and 6, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christ has been appointed not only for the fall of many, but for the rise of many. That's the picture he's done for you and me through faith in him. This child was appointed for that. Set in place and destined. But Simeon's not done yet. He says, and also, he is assigned to be opposed. Assigned to be opposed. Now that's an interesting thing. The word sign here is a word for miracle. A wonder. A miracle. A... a, uh, a sign to be opposed <laughs> you see a sign you see a wonder you see a miracle why would anyone doubt it why would they stand back and oppose it but that's literally what the word says here they dispute with it they refuse it they contradict it they speak against it they deny it they see it but their opinion it's quite the opposite. Remember when Jesus Christ was crucified? In Luke chapter number 23, it goes through some of the details here. But there's also another section in John chapter 19. Pilate had Jesus taken to the place where he would be crucified, and they nailed him to a cross and set him up for everyone to see. What did Pilate then do? He made a sign, didn't he? He made a sign. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, nailed it on the top. Even those who wanted his death did not like the sign. The religious leaders came rushing into Pilate. And they said, take that sign and change it. Say, he says he is a king of a Jew, the Jews. And he says, no, what I wrote, I wrote. They even opposed the sign over his head. They opposed every sign he ever showed them. But there's a sign that stated who he was. And they refused to believe it. And in Luke chapter 23, when they came to a place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They cast lots, divided up his garments among them. The people stood by looking on. Even the rulers were sneering at him, it says. He saved others, let him 
save himself if this is Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a sign above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourselves and us. Even down to his last few minutes, they were mocking him. A sign to be opposed. A sign to be opposed. You know what's interesting about that little phrase? Most of of the gospel narrative and what Simeon would say and things are are spoken in ways that you could express them as a, as a single event. This event, this event, this event. That was true of, of most narratives. But this is one occasion where he uses the present tense. A sign that will continually be opposed. It doesn't go away, does it? Do you know it's still true today, isn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ is opposed by many. They sneer at it. They laugh at it. They mock it. They, they, they look at the sign and they can't believe it. They reject it. They deny it. They dispute with it. He is a sign to be opposed. He was appointed for that purpose. Would that be shocking news to you, mother? If somebody picked up your baby and said that about that child? He's a sign to be opposed. Set in place, destined by God. And then some of the more alarming words start to come along, if that wasn't enough. In verse 35 of Luke chapter 2, And a sword will pierce even your own soul. He looked right into Mary's eyes, I think, as he spoke those words. A sword. We're not talking about a little thing here. They called it a Thrashian javelin. A broad sword. It was the one instrument that people would use in battle that the Romans actually had to redesign their armor to contend with it. All other things they could deal with, but the thoracic sword, they didn't know what to... They had to change their armor for that one. The only time it's used in Scripture, technically, in the Old Testament, it speaks of Goliath's sword. If you study about that, it was enormous. Well, Mary's told here, a sword will pierce even your own soul. And that has brought some people to wonderful and some very interesting interpretations. Wonderful, by the way, is not meaning, wow, I like it. Wonderful is, how did you ever get that? That's what I wonder. Here's what they say. One said, this is the way Mary is going to view the crucifixion of Christ. Was she there when Christ was crucified? Yes, she was. Matter of fact, in John 19, it says, uh, The soldiers did these things, and standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. They say Mary didn't really understand Simeon's words, but she would see it someday. She would see the, the day when Christ would die on a cross, and it was just as if a sword broke through her soul, and... Maybe so. Mothers would be that way, wouldn't they? See their own son dying like that? That's one way you could look at it, and a lot of people do. Another said that uh, this is a little more bizarre, perhaps, that in the crucifixion, by the shedding of 
the blood of her son, it would also pierce her heart and drain it of its lifeblood and make it childless. I said, huh, that's kind of weird sounding, isn't it? I don't like that one. Her third one, the third interpretation that's given for this, is that Mary herself would suffer martyrdom. There are some who teach that. It spoke of Mary's own death. Even a sword would pierce through your own. But notice the word soul and not body. It appears through your soul. doesn't say anything about a body here. Which I think leads me to my thought that I want to share with you this morning. And it's simply this. People have to respond to Jesus, right? They have to respond to the gospel message. They have to make a decision about him. Mary had to make a decision too. Don't think for a minute that just because she was a mother of Jesus, that somehow everything was different for her. Like she just had this uh, free ticket into heaven or something of that nature. She was a sinner, just like you and I. She needed a savior, just like you and I, true? That's exactly who Mary was. Maybe being the mother of Jesus would have made it more difficult. But the fact is, She had to come to understand why Jesus came and what he did to save a soul. She needed the same piercing that you and I do in our souls. Here's how J. Vernon McGee sums it up. The cross of Christ has moved many people. Artists have painted the picture. Songwriters have written music about it. The authors and preachers have sketched those moments with words. There is a danger of dwelling on his death in a sympathetic way. Christ did not die to elicit anyone's sympathy. He does not want your sympathy, he wants your faith. Later in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is on his way to the cross, some women began to weep. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. If you have tears for Jesus, save them for yourselves and your family. Do not weep for him, because... He does not want your sympathy. Jesus Christ wants your faith. It would be true of Mary as well. Mary needed her soul pierced too, just like you and me. The sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts of, for many hearts may be revealed. Last little bit I want to add to our whole picture of what he's referring to here. The thoughts. To have your thoughts tested. To see what, it, what way you're leaning. You must take a stand. Either you're for Christ or you're against Christ. Either you receive him or you do not. Now, some of you are well acquainted with the uh, tests that go through the chemistry world. Some of you would be familiar with the litmus test. For example, it's a solution that's simply put on this litmus paper. And if it turns red, it indicates acid. If it turns blue, it indicates an alkaline. It could turn shades of red. It could turn orange, maybe even yellow, but it's an acid. It could change to blue with shades of purple or or the blue, and it's an alkaline. But it's got to go one way or the other got to show one side or another. Matter of fact, we've come to bring that to a metaphorical expression. 
when we say it's a litmus test. Uh, the litmus test is a test to come to a conclusion on something. There's only one solution. There's only one decisive result. We've got to go one way or the other. Simeon said the end that Jesus was appointed to, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts may be revealed. This is where you stand before God. You're tested. And it has to do with Jesus Christ. When Peter was preaching his sermons, back in the days of Acts chapter number 2, he's speaking to Cornelius and the Gentiles, and he says these words, And he ordered us to preach to the people solemnly to testify that this one is the, the one who is appointed by God. As judge of the living and the dead, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Then Paul starts preaching in Acts chapter 17 to the thinkers in Athens, these intelligent individuals who couldn't see the truth. He says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now with both of those declarations, Peter preached it, Paul preached it. When Peter preached it, those who heard it responded by faith and were saved. When Paul preached it, some sneered, it said. Some put it off on their decision, said, we're thinking about that. Later it says, some joined him and believed. But here's the thing that Simeon tells Mary and Joseph. He's appointed to this, to the fall of many, to the rise of many, as a sign to be opposed, as a place where your thoughts are going to be decided. Has your soul been pierced with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you come to a decision about him? How is Jesus a savior to you? Is it just the word that he is a savior? Or has that gospel message penetrated the heart? Has it led to your fall? Your fall from your pride and yourself? From your old stubborn way of hanging on to things and saying, I'll figure this out myself. Have you fallen to the idea that Jesus Christ is the only answer? That would crush your pride every time. When you realize, I can do nothing but fall completely on Him. Have you known that He has brought you to life through His own work on the cross and His resurrection? Do you know that through Him you shall rise up into glory? Because of Him, we're seated in the heavenly places. Have you trusted Him for that? Or are you still opposed? You're still standing against it. You come to a decision. Either your soul is pierced, or you have rejected Him. Now, the announcement given to Mary and Joseph that day had to have been a jarring thing to hear. Probably quite confusing. Probably quite shocking to hear that this is what is appointed for my little baby. 
And yet, he said it was a blessing. Do you know that today? The blessing of a Savior and all that he's done for you? Do you know him as your Savior? We're about to partake of a communion service. Every time we do this, it's a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. How he gave his body. We represent that with the bread. How he gave his blood. We represent that with the juice. These things Jesus Christ did for you. He gave his life for you. Now, I know we can look back at the story and remember it, because that's what we're told to do. Let's appreciate those who live by faith, who accept it and believe it too. I trust that's where you are today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can believe him right now. Today's the day. Now is the appointed time. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then the men will come up here and assist me. But before we do that, let's talk to our Lord. Heavenly Father, you know every single soul in this room and where they stand in reference to Jesus Christ. This message is not just for Mary and Joseph years ago, but it's for us today as well. That we might know that it's Jesus Christ and through Him alone that we can come to the the Father. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. On that we will believe or we won't. Since you know every heart in this room, Lord, I, I pray and I I plead that if they don't know Christ as Savior, right now they might reach out to Him and receive Him by faith. Scripture tells that those who believe in Him shall be saved. And I pray that You might save some who might be among us today, Lord. Draw them to Yourself. For those of us who have come to know Christ as Savior, I don't know how many different avenues You've brought us down in our life experience, but... We've all come only through Jesus. That's why we partake of this communion service. It's His body that was broken for us and His blood that was shed for us that has made all the difference in the world. And we thank You, Lord Jesus, for doing that. Your willingness to come. Yes, to be born of a baby. Live on this earth. To die on our behalf. To be buried. To rise again. All these things we read of today, Lord, we thank you for doing it. And we praise you today. And we remember you in our service. And we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.